Welcome once again to the Africa Football Showdown. What a game. What a tournament. I mean, I could not see the AFCON ending in any other way than the drama that came down in Abidjan between Ivory Coast and Nigeria. We'll go into all those details in this episode. Peter Okoche is here. Mimi Fawaz will be joining us a bit later. Peter, what happened? Oh, well, I mean... what? Listen, first of all, I have to apologize for my absence from the show for the last few editions. But hey, I'm back. And that's all that matters, isn't it? Listen, man. I mean, when Troost Ekong scored that first goal yesterday, Nigerians thought that cup was coming home. But the Ivorians had a different game plan. It was a masterful game plan by the Ivorians. You know, Nigeria were a bit too defensive, not attack-minded enough. And, you know, we couldn't understand that formation. Once the Ivorians had scored two goals, we changed our formation to a more attacking one. And people thought, well, that should have come earlier in the game. Even right after we scored our first game, Trust Ekong headed in that brilliant goal. We thought, OK, we'd become more attack-minded just to protect our goal. But I think the Ivorians had a different game plan and they masterfully executed it on the pitch yesterday. Kudos to them. Kudos to them. The celebrations here in Nigeria, pretty muted. I've been monitoring them all through the night and a lot of people are giving the boys kudos because at the beginning of the tournament, no one expected to see them in the final. Look, I think that the boys deserve all the all the plaudits that they can get. I, I, I picked Nigeria to win this because I felt like they had found a system that worked for them and they had stopped even the best of attacks which is what surprised me about yesterday, conceding two goals. But again, I have to give props to, first of all, Adingra and then Kessie and um, Ale there for breaking down the defense because I, it, it wasn't the first time, if you look at the second goal, for instance, it wasn't the first time that Adingra had managed to enter through that left side and gotten across through. But it just seemed like there were too many bodies in the middle. It, it was such a beautiful flick, though, wasn't it? Uh, by Sebastian mm. Le. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And, and listen, right, I think, the, like I said, the Ivorians had a game plan. If you go back to the group stages when Nigeria beat Ivory Coast 1-0, I think the Ivorians had watched Nigeria's first game against Equatorial Guinea, I think it was, where we drew 1-1 in that match and then came into the match against Nigeria in the group stage thinking that we were going to play exactly the same way. But Nigeria changed their formation and played with a completely different formation but i think the ivorians had learned their lesson so when they came into this final game they were the ones who surprised the nigerians you know i thought kessie was brilliant i thought hala was brilliant the whole team i mean the way they kept the ball the way they passed the ball it all of a sudden nigeria the nigerian players could not retain the ball you know and and those are a lot of the complaints that people where i watched the game and then fans that have been listening to on the radio since these are some of the complaints that they had. They said, you guys could not retain the ball. You guys could not even string together five, six passes. You know, I think, which was a shame. You've not been, you've not been retaining the ball so much during the tournament, Peter. You've not, been, you've not been playing possessive football during the tournament. It's been more of sitting back and, and soaking the pressure. So, okay, so absolutely, soaking up the pressure. But once we get on the move, you know, if we're doing a counter-attack or something, our, pass, our passes were, you know, crisp, sharp, went to the player, intended player. 
But this time, you know, it will be, uh, I know, all of them. I mean, the, the passes were just short, completely out of place. They just looked like a team that were that were tired. You know, they'd reached their peak, which was a, a huge, huge surprise for, you know, for such a game that they wanted to win. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. At a point, it seemed like Ivory Coast just wanted it more. And um, I am kind of taken aback by, even though, yes, the fairy tale works, but I'm really taken aback by the energy on the pitch, if anything. Um, but what's next, really, for, for this Nigerian team? Do you know what? That's a beautiful question. Because, I mean, obviously, it's the, it's the end of international football for players like Ahmed Musa, who was the captain of the team, but didn't actually get to do much on the pitch. And also, uh, Onyeka, I'm sure they will drop out of the team. But they've got some young players. Lukman, Lukman was a bright star in the team. Osimen, they're going to continue to the next Africa Cup of Nations. But I think they will have to look at themselves. The coaching staff will have to look at themselves. Is this the right coaching staff that will move Nigeria forward? Jose Pesero was, some argue, lucky to have still retained his position and taken Nigeria to this tournament. Will he continue to the next tournament in Morocco? I personally doubt that very much. I think Nigeria will go looking for a new coach. It might be a homegrown coach. It might be an international coach. But I think he's taken this team as far as he can go. But for the players, I think the core of the team will still remain uh, until the next tournament in Morocco. I think the general that general tradition of defensive play is phasing out. Mm. And Nigeria, even though they showed a lot of defensive metal in the tournament, also has a lot of attacking mm. players that needs to be allowed to express themselves. It's sort of, you know, a Ghana situation. So, I mean, you're right. Yeah. You're right about that. You're right about that. Because a lot of people were like, why was Iwobi playing so deep? Iwobi should have been the engine room of the team. He normally plays a bit higher up, almost like in a number 10 position. You know, he's the one who sprays the passes. But he was playing almost a number four, almost like a like a cover for the defense, you know, or holding midfielder kind of, you know. And Nigerians were a bit surprised by that. So it, it just, I think that stifled our creativity a little bit. At some point, even in the semi-finals against South Africa, you know, when we're finding them difficult to break down, I thought the coach might bring an Ihenacho in earlier on to play two attackers to now confuse the defense. But he didn't do that, you know. And a lot of the times in, in the final game on Sunday, you could see Osime was completely isolated. Completely isolated. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think he had a brilliant tournament. He just showed how much of a team player he was. He was recovering balls, going back into defense to go and play. Uh, he's a brilliant player, an all-round player. But in the final... But 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 on Osimen, on Osimen, Peter, mm. on Osimen, 24 shots at goal in a tournament and one goal. I, I, yes. That's a very poor return. He, he... Yeah. That's a very, very poor return. And I, and I think, I think, I see, and that's another problem with the coaching technical crew. Because after that first game, where we drew 1-1, I think that he should have been told, listen, your job in this tournament is to score goals. Stop tracking back. You know, you are number nine. Stay in the number nine position and let's look for you. You know, but at some point, you know, at some point I was during the tournament, I was seeing him recovering balls from the Nigerian defense. You know, that's not your job. And I think that's why his goal return in this tournament was so, so poor. But then his work rate was high. I still really respect what he put in the game. I still really respect the role he played in drawing 
defenders and even tracking back and making sure that they would retain the goals. There's an expression that a good attack wins you games, but a good defense wins you titles. But are you satisfied overall with what he brought? Listen, I can say no, because his job was to score goals and he didn't, he scored only one goal. But you can't deny the man's work rate. The man's work rate was very high. But when it comes to goals returned, which is why he is in the team, then he didn't he didn't have the best of 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 tournaments. Uh, you know, and, and not just him, the rest of the players. But then don't forget, I mean, he was the highest goal scorer coming into the tournament during the um, uh, during the uh, qualification phase of of the tournament. You know, so for for his goals to just dry up during the tournament was a, a, a huge, huge surprise. But I think that's because he also tried to show what a team player he is. But strikers are meant to be selfish players. You know, play selfishly. Bang in the goals. Look, I mean, no matter how wild that game was, as a Ghanaian, I have to say, I'm not angry at the result at all. I mean, we still have... <laughs> four, we still have four Afghans. Nigeria still has three. Ivory Coast also has three. You know, and you know, I think that for world peace, because Nigerian people have been sitting on people's hearts. Should I tell you? The, should I tell you the biggest story in Nigeria today? The biggest story in Nigeria today is that Nigerians didn't were not even interested in the trophy. All they wanted to do was perform better than Ghana in the tournament and then beat South Africa. So we achieved those two. That's fine for us. <laughs> You know, you know, you know the, you know the, you know the interesting thing. That's that may be the biggest story in Nigeria, but the biggest story across the world is no Grammy, no Afcon, no lights. I mean, Peter, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Oh goodness gracious! Oh, but football fans, football fans. But you know the the good thing about the final. I mean, what I'm happy about the final it was Seb Hala. I mean, you know, coming back from. His uh, cancer diagnosis and then winning this tournament, you know, what a fairy tale, you know, brilliant. So, so happy for him. You can't help but be happy for the Ivorians. The Ivorians were not the best team in this tournament, not by country mile, but I think they were the ones who tweaked their game when they needed to. They were really, really, really lucky to get this far. Don't forget that they qualified out of the group as one of the best finishing third-placed teams in their group. So congratulations to Ivory Coast, commiserations to Nigeria, but we lick our wounds and try again in Morocco. <laughs> I mean, that's why my man of the tournament is MS5, because I think, look, that must have been one difficult phone call he got when he was told, we're going to fire Jean-Louis Gasset, and we have fired Jean-Louis Gasset, we're going to need you to step in as coach. Because... What what do you think about? These are players who, first of all, have lost two games in a row, have been walloped by Equatorial Guinea. What? How do you even motivate them to do the best that they can? And how do you arrange the squad so that you bring out the best in them? He got both of them excellently right. I mean, absolutely. And, and he, he, they struggled to the final. It was a difficult road to the final. Uh, to be fair, penalties at a point, you know, um, last-minute winners, extra-time winners at a point. But in the end, look, here we are. Listen, I mean, remember remember when, when we started this podcast and we heard that news, that news broke that Ivory Coast had fired their coach. 
you know, I, in fact, there were rumors that they were, they were trying to get Elvé Renard, now coaching the French female national team, that they were trying to borrow Elvé Renard. And we're like, these guys are like mad. I mean, who actually fires a coach mid-tournament? But hey, there you go. You've got to make the decision. And the decision worked for them. So kudos to them as well. You know, I mean, but like you said, what a great tournament we, we've had. You know, goals galore, excellent players, some nice dribbling. Because I like dribbling. I like to watch players getting dribbled and make get, you know. So it, it was a brilliant tournament. You couldn't have asked for more. You couldn't have asked for more. No. What actually surprises me, Peter, what actually surprises me is Emilio Nsue holding on to the golden boots. You can imagine he left in the round of 16 and he still held off the golden boot. So, I mean, so it just goes to show that it wasn't just one player or a couple of players who were scoring the goals. Everybody was involved in goal scoring. So um, I think that worked very well for me as a tournament. But what, what a great tournament. I really, really enjoyed it. And Best moments, highest moments from the tournament, Peter. Best moments for you. Oh, I think best story, more like. Okay. I think Cape Verde. I, you know, I mean, because of what they achieved in Cameroon, and you can just tell that they haven't gone back and sat on their laurels. They have improved and improved. Best moment for me, Bebe's 40-yard free kick. Mm. What a goal. What a goal. What a goal. That's my best moment of the competition. So, yes, I mean, if, Niger- if Nigeria had won... That would have been my best, but hey, you know, if wishes were horses. Huh? <laughs> my best moment was there. My best moment was there. Ivory Coast to win. Finally silencing. <laughs> Finally oh, no, silencing. I walked, I walked <laughs> right into that punch. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you. I'll get you back. <laughs> I was going to pick something totally different, but I had to, mm. you know, I had to slip that in. Like, this was for, for South Africa, for Angola, for Ghana, for so many, for world peace, for general world peace and continental cohesion. We're not the best team on the continent. We're the second best team on the continent, and then every other person follows behind us. So that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> no one remembers second best, <laughs> No one remembers second best. <laughs> I totally agree with you. Look, but it was it was a good it was a good watch. I think that for me, I think I look back at the tournament and I think very great stories. I, I know I've mentioned MS Fire already. I think Hugo Bruce also did excellently well. South Africa coming from behind there. I think the entrance of Angola with that attacking fire and that 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 progress really was such an amazing thing to talk about talk about namibia talk about mauritania and remember when we got to the quarterfinals the top five teams on africa according to the fifa world ranking were out of the tournament all of the quarterfinalists from the last world from the last afghan were out yes indeed 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 yeah, Nigeria was the was the only, was the remaining highest placed team at number six, you know, on the continent. So you you're, you're very right about that. When we started, I know that when we started the tournament, I expected it to be you know the big boys whitewashing everyone else, and I wanted this to be the last moment and everything. But I I looking back at it, I won't have it any other way. It- yeah, Congo did well. Equatorial Guinea, Guinea. It, it was just it was brilliant. It was brilliant, you know. And to to actually have. 
a Ghanaian derby in a Nations Cup. I love that. I love that. And somebody said the only thing separating them is the equator. <laughs> was that you who said that? Was that you who said that? I think it was you. <laughs> if I'm going to remind listeners of things that people have said, Peter Koche said it on this podcast that every time Nigeria beats Ibikos, Nigeria wins the AFCON. Well, <laughs> if they had beaten them, they would have won. They'd have won. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> Peter, look. They'd have won. This was yeah. so much fun. Come back uh, from was. come back from Nigeria safe. Will do. Will do. All right. Have some Amala on me, okay? <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Nice one, bro. Nice one. All right, Cheers. man. All right, man. All right, man. This is the African Football Showdown. That was just the first part of my conversation with Peter Koche. I'll be connecting with Mimi in Abidjan later. Now, for all of those listening on radio stations of the continent, this is the last edition that we're working with rebroadcasters on. But remember, we will be back soon on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on any podcast hosting platform. My name is Daniel Dazzi. We're not done yet. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Africa Football Showdown. My name is Daniel Dazzi here with Mimi Fawaz, who is in Abidjan. Mimi. Um, should I be saying I'm sorry? Should I be saying let's buy funeral cloth? How are you feeling? I'm feeling fine, Daniel. Thank you very much. I'm here. I was here for the final, as you know. I have to say it was um it was quite something. I, I haven't experienced anything like that before. I have to say in an Africa Cup of Nations final, uh, it, it, the stadium was sixty thousand capacity, and it was just under 59,000 something. I can't remember what it was again. It was literally just a sea of orange throughout the stadium. Packed, packed, packed. Um, obviously, lots of loud noises because you've got so many fans at the same time in the stadium. Um, that atmosphere is something that, I, I as I said, I, I cannot remember experiencing something like that in Africa Cup of Nations final. And I've covered quite a few now. Electric atmosphere, really. Now, you've been very close to the Nigerian camp, Mimi. What have they been telling you after that loss? Well, of course, when you get so close to lifting a trophy and you can actually see it when they're passing by getting their medals, um, a lot of the players were, were, were disappointed, understandably so, because they were so close but yet weren't able to lift the trophy. They knew it wasn't the performance that they've put in throughout the competition. They just were not at their best for the final. And also, I, I feel, and I think many Nigerian fans as well, the, the tactics of Jose Pacero, um, it just didn't work for this match. So it's a somber mood, but um, they're, they're heading to Nigeria as we speak to get a, a welcome um, reception from the presidential villa getting to the semifinals. Because let's not forget, that is still a very big deal. We've all seen from this competition how difficult it has been. It's not been like any other ones that we've seen. The gap between the traditional favorites and the minnows has closed. So for any team that's gone to the final, that's a huge achievement. Honestly, honestly. But hey, it's been a great hosting attempt from Ivory Coast, hasn't it? It's It's been an exciting tournament altogether. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you remember, but I did say... Um, after Ivory Coast defeated the champions then Senegal, I said they can be unstoppable because they get, they're given a second lease of life. They thought they were out of the competition in the group stages, finally going through as one of the third best placed teams. And I said, once you've defeated the champions and you go on, you, you've got that new lease of life, nothing's going to stop you. 
they, as they say, they're not a ghost cannot be afraid. That's a saying that they have. Um, so they just kept building that momentum. It was really a new side, a completely different side that we saw in the group stages and having that 12th player, the fans, the home support, let's not, under, let's not underestimate that. I've been in the stadium for their matches and I see how important it is having them to help keep them going in their matches. Mm, mm, mm. Honestly, that home support that you referred to is, I think it's been the linchpin really, but the players responded. I feel like for a lot of tournaments that you get very wild home support, it also behoves the players to pl- come to the party. And even at the beginning of the tournament, you could see that it's not just home support that wins it for a team. And Ivory Coast really, really proved it on the pitch. But look, let's talk about other things. The tournament is over now. And one of the biggest winners, I've been checking the numbers, is CAF. If you look at the growth in the social media following alone, you realize that this is a tournament that has been followed internationally. And um, Peter and I were talking about earlier how much coverage you've seen. The CAF president, Patrick Musefe, said um, about 2 billion people watched this tournament from beginning to end in 173 different countries across the world. But let me wow you with some more numbers because on TikTok, for instance, um, they had 5.2 million followers ahead of the tournament. That has grown to 8.5 million. On Instagram, it was from 3.6 million to 4.9 million. And on X, formerly Twitter, it's grown by just 100,000. I don't know how we can call it 100,000 just, but from 2.7 million to 2.8 million. It looks like, Mimi, the, the consumership of the content is leaning more towards video. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I haven't, I hadn't seen the numbers until you told me. But what I can say is that even for me on my Instagram page, my numbers have grown as well by a few thousand, just covering um, the competition. And Twitter, or X as we call it now, I guess hasn't grown as much as I guess for CAF in comparison to the other platforms. Um, but yes, CAF have really focused. We're living in a very digitalized world now, Daniel, aren't we? So CAF have really focused on putting, uh, you know, a lot of work into the digital team. I do know who spearheads the digital team and they work very, very hard. They've brought a mix of, of people from around the world, influencers who have been getting involved in um, their online content. They've also included former legends, former players who are legends obviously now, such as DJ Drogba, um, Daniel Amokachi, who get to you know speak to the players of their countries. They do like little, nice little features. So that has really gone down very well with the public. And, and pardon me there, I, I don't know why I said that. It's consumption. That, that's the word that I wanted to use. It's the consumption of the of the video content that has worked and and look if if you if you look really there's been a a combination of a lot of things one of my favorite stories that i saw was this chief in korhogo who said there'll be no weddings there'll be no funerals there'll be no social events in korhogo until the tournament is over so there's that cultural element to it there there were human stories i remember watching something on our instagram page about um the barber who works for the Nigerian team. And and it's it's things like that. And and of course Amanda Lamini, the first female commentator in CAF in a CAF tournament. I mean it opens the door for for people like you, Mimi, to be sitting in the in that seat in a few years, I'm sure. 
Oh, trust me, I'm, I, I'm not a commentator in any way, shape, or form. So I, I don't think I will be doing live commentary matches. I'll leave that. To, <laughs> I'll leave that to the former players who know a lot more than I do. Oh, for the Laminis of the world. No, that's fine. But I mean, those are those are the kind of stories I feel that really pushed the Afcon and. Look, next, the next tournament in Morocco is going to be great. But yes, Morocco is another country that's known for being very good at hosting competitions. They've also got very good stadiums. I, you know, I've been to the country quite a few times. Um, so I think CAF can only build momentum from this competition. The global eyes around the world um, that have really paid attention to this and just build on that for the next one. And I think they will do that. So what, what would you say would be next for... CAF, I mean, you started talking about the Morocco tournaments, but what would you say is the next thing that we should look for? Well, I mean, if we're looking at um, Africa Cup of Nations, there's also the Women's Africa Cup of Nations this summer, which will be taking Morocco, taking place in Morocco. So that's also another big one, I think, that is worth us as well, giving just as much attention as the men's game. Alrighty. Um, maybe we'll be back for a WAFCON. You never know. There's a man called Pierce Lynch. He's in charge of this whole thing. You would you would <laughs> make the decisions, but look, Mimi, definitely an awesome um, time spending this this whole tournament with you, seeing you chill in Ivory Coast, and hopefully we'll be back with it. <laughs> I'm working too. <laughs> ah, you know, it's always work and play. It's always work and play. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll be back with another um, big conversation around African football. Thanks so much, Mimi. Thank you, Daniel. It's been fun. Alrighty, now this is the Africa Football Showdown. Remember, if you are listening to us on any of our partner stations um, across the continent, thank you very much for joining us throughout this com this competition. But this will be the last time that we bring you an episode on radio for now. For now, we would not be broadcasting on our favorite partner stations after the tournament but you can still follow us on, on on spotify on youtube on apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast and your video content we're on all social media as well see you next time my name is daniel Dice. i did this with mimi fawaz earlier we had peter of coaching enjoy your evening Jesse, Jesse, you don't feel that vibe. You don't feel that vibe. You don't feel.